Hey, everybody, this is Stephen Jeffries from Fright Night, and you're listening to Without Your Head. the station of decapitation without your head i'm nasty neil and i'm joined by a musician who's played and toured with multiple musical icons and he still believes the sax man timmy capello how are you doing oh, i'm doing good thanks neil it's it's nice because um since uh since you uh, got in touch with me i've been sort of asking around about your podcast and have heard nothing but rave reviews so i'll I'll have to, uh, after uh, I listen to what we do, I'm going to go back in the archives and uh, because everybody says it's really fun. Oh, well, I appreciate that. That's very, that's, that's good to hear. And uh, yeah, I'm glad you're yeah, doing that it. Was I'm nice, glad you know. it. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's yeah. I've only had one guest in 13 years hang up on me. So I think that's a good record. <laughs> oh, that's now that's a story I'd like to hear. I guess <laughs> you right. can cut it out if, if, um, oh, if it goes too far astray, but, uh, uh maybe was... when we, maybe when, when the interview's over, you can All tell right. me how that <laughs> I will indeed. I will indeed. So, uh, okay. I, I have, yeah, uh, well, first of all, I, I asked you this off air is, uh, because you're usually Tim and, and, and the email stuff, it's Timmy. So, uh, which do you prefer? Well, uh, I, I'm, mu- I'm much more used to Timmy because when I was growing up, that's what my family and friends and everybody always called me. My wife calls me Kenny. Everybody I know calls me Kenny. And it's just one of those things. It seems like a strange name for 
you know, the, the, the image that I had in the Lost Boys and, and with mm-hmm. Tina, uh, I've actually seen people go, this guy's name is Timmy? It doesn't make any sense. It's like, you know, Timmy and Lassie or sounds like a kid's name. Mm-hmm. But you just get used to it because people call people call you that and that's just what you're used to. But what happened was that on Lost Boys, they, you know, as everybody knows, they put, every, which was really generous of them, to actually mm-hmm. make everybody's name spell, you know, put everybody's name on the front of the cover, which was awesome, except for the first pressing, they spelled my name wrong uh, mm-hmm. with one P, and they just called me Tim without asking or without anything, I guess just figuring, oh, some, you know, bodybuilder dude doesn't want to be called Timmy. They just made mm-hmm. that assumption. And, um, and, and so that's the way it went. And because that's the thing I'm most known for, uh, mm-hmm. everybody calls me Tim, but it, it, sometimes I don't turn around, you know, so that, <laughs> right, sometimes right. It, uh-huh. it, it feels for, for me, it feels sort of like it should be, you know, Sergeant Tim Capella. It, it doesn't <laughs> feel like me, uh-huh. but okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, uh, uh, I, I wanted to read this, too, because I found it funny. It was on your Wikipedia page. This is what it says about you. And I want, want your take mm-hmm. on this. He is, an, he is notable for his muscular physique, his sexually provocative movements during his performances, and for his tendency to perform shirtless with his skin oiled and with his hair in a ponytail. That's, that's, that's yes. what you read on your uh, Wikipedia, which I think that's a hell of a, uh, a, hell of a description. well you know i have no idea i've had a wikipedia page for i since i checked Mm -hmm. you know i checked to see if there was one i don't know who does it i don't know i guess you probably know more about that stuff than i do i've never put one up so Mm -hmm. i guess people do it and people change it and then i've I've heard some really weird stuff and then it'll disappear. Like somebody uh-huh. said, I don't know. I went to Tibet and studied Buddhism and then that's what made me uh, get into the saxophone or something. Like really crazy stuff that, that, that obviously people were just doing for fun, right? Wikipedia, mm-hmm. anybody can edit that stuff, right? Yeah, yeah, that's which is very strange because, because uh, I think then some people will put up stuff that that uh, that just flies on the radar because it seems like well that must be a true story and then it's up there forever and you know and it's something that that could you know never happen. I I just kind of think um, I, I as I agree with you I think that's a good description like if somebody didn't know my name, but mm-hmm. they read that. Oh, I know that nut from the Lost <laughs> Boys. Yeah. yeah. Or I've seen those teen concerts. Yeah. Yeah. So, so. yes, you're right. I, I, I think it's an accurate description. And, um, and like I said, I just let that page have a life of its own. If they want to say crazy stuff about me, that's <laughs> sure. wrong. I, 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 I I don't really have the, 
the technical know-how to yeah. go and change it or whatever. Mm-hmm. So um, it changes every once in a while. Uh-huh. Uh, and sometimes there's just real lies in it that you could tell people are just having fun. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're just, they're just saying something silly and so I kind of don't mind that either, you know. They, yeah, as long like as it's entertaining. Yeah. As long as it's entertaining, right? Yeah. Say that as again. Long, I said, as long as it's entertaining, I think that's a good guideline. Yeah, I mean, like I, I, I kind of chuckled when somebody said I went to Tibet and and, yeah. and you know studied Buddhism and that's what made me pick up the saxophone. Right? Mm-hmm. I, you know, it's obviously was never true and I don't think the people intended for anybody to believe it but they just have fun with it and I feel really kind of I don't know not honored honor's not the right word but but that people understand the humor uh, that's sure in what I do you know I'm so like when I was young you know now that I'm people that are kind of into the lost boys or come to these conventions that I talk to now that I'm their grandfather's age, I, um, it, it, it really is much different than it used to be. I used to get a lot of hostility. Oh, you know, if you're big, they think you're tough. Well, I've never been in a fight in my entire life. I've, right. I've never hit anybody. I've never been hit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's just, um, I'm just sort of a hippie, but people get the impression, you know, mm-hmm. that, that, and, and Tini used to say that to me a lot too. Oh no, don't, don't wear your hair down because that's too, you know, that's too soft. You remember, you gotta be the tough guy. And it, it's hard. I, I don't even know what she's talking about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So actually, when when you mentioned there about uh, they have the story up about uh, why you pick up the saxophone, uh, what is the real reason why? Because uh, I, I understand that you play a lot of different instruments and you grew up uh, with a father in music. But what what um, what was it about the sax that, that specifically uh, uh, got you into it? I was a really you know I was one of those weird kids. That just like I to this day, I'm not familiar with like the Led Zeppelin records, and I have really big holes in my musical knowledge of when I was growing up and what I would have been, what everybody else was into. I just, for some weird reason, I was just totally attracted to jazz and as a kid I was really attracted to sort of real modern um, progressive jazz like Ornette Coleman and stuff like that and um, and so all of my heroes all the guys that I thought were so cool uh, Joe Henderson Charlie Parker Lester Young, I, I just thought those were the coolest guys in the world. And I, I just thought that the saxophone is kind of like talking and singing without words. Mm-hmm. If, if you know what I mean? Yeah. 
It really, everybody has their own voice. Like somehow the shape of your like throat and your trachea and, and your mouth and your palate, like no two people sound alike on the instrument. Whereas sometimes, you know, like piano players and drummers and stuff, they really have to work hard mm-hmm. to, to develop like riffs and develop their own lexicon because, of course, basically everybody sounds the same mm-hmm. on the piano. You know, the, the notes sound the same. So somebody like Thelonious Monk worked on all those little clusters of notes and made himself very original on the instrument. But it, it ain't that easy, I don't think. But, mm-hmm. you know, Sonny Rollins sounds so different than John Coltrane or Joe Henderson or Wayne Shorter. Like, those four people sound so different. And I don't think it has much to do with much else than the shape of of their from their lungs to their lips mm-hmm. <laughs> and and that's the way it is with a voice too right yeah you know what i mean yeah. you and i yeah. could talk i would instantly know who you are just mm-hmm. from the sound of your voice and it's the shape of 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 that part of your body who knows mm-hmm. maybe it's even the shape of your whole body mm-hmm. <laughs> it's interesting and so i i always liked that and I loved, uh, I just loved jazz. The, the only rock guy that I was really uh, I- enamored with and, and was in love with was uh, Captain Beefheart. That, that was my only rock, you know, sort of idol. Mm-hmm. So, um, so, I just so had, liked those yeah. very progressive sounds. And, mm-hmm. and I... I definitely backed off from that since I was a, a kid, I guess, you know, kids, teenagers are rebellious and, mm-hmm. and, and, and want to get into the weirdest stuff that they can, or at yeah. least I was like that. I, <laughs> I don't know. When you were, do, do you find that y- your taste in music has changed or expanded? Like it doesn't really matter what style, just so long as you as long feel as you like, like there's like, yeah, something I good agree. in it. Yeah, I agree hundred percent. I even feel the same way about movies because some people really get caught up in the genre, like is this sci-fi oh. or, or whatever. But I think if uh, if the movie, if you like it, if you if you uh, if you feel something about it, uh, some type of emotional connection, it doesn't really matter, uh, you know, what genre it is. And so sometimes you find yourself loving a movie that's outside of what people would. Think. I mean, you know, you've kind of. To a certain extent, right? There's a percentage of your life that you've really devoted to horror. Yes. And so, you know, people would get that impression. I mean, do, do you do, can you actually love like a romantic comedy? Oh, sure, but um, I probably that's probably not a uh, a genre I really uh, lean towards. But like, yeah, I, it's, if it's something I like, I like. I mean, I like a lot of. Uh, I really like a lot of like mafia movies. I love. Goodfellas and Godfather and those kind of movies and oh sure and uh, I love sure. Taxi Driver I don't even know where you'd put that into but uh but yeah if it's just something that that, that I like it's uh, I like it it doesn't really matter you know what what the genre is 
I don't say, you know, it's, I'm not someone who just watches nothing but horror movies and, you know, has to be all kinds of, you know, craziness. If I like it, I like it. Yeah. And I bet when you were younger, it kind of wasn't like that, right? You were really devoted to the genre, maybe yeah, more than you are now. Is that true? Is that true for most people, you think? That I they think expand so. A little yeah, bit? I think so. Yeah. As you get older, you think, uh, you look at things differently and, uh, you're not so worried about like, like you're kind of saying when you're younger, you kind of, you want to rebel and stuff. And maybe you're a little more concerned about what, uh, other people might think of you, even though like, yeah. And then later on, it's like, uh, I don't really care if people, if I like, like professional <laughs> wrestling, <laughs> that's very, you know, not everyone's a, a wrestling fan, but I like it. So I don't know. This doesn't really concern me, you know, what other people think. Sure. Of course. Well, you know, you're seeing the you're seeing the irony in it and you're seeing all the um the levels at which you can take it right mm-hmm. obviously i mean do you actually get because i was a huge wrestling fan when i was a kid my father used to take me to the matches um it, you know when i was little way in the, in the early 60s yeah. and my father, my father, um, uh, I grew up in Westchester, just up from New York City, and my father was the the head of music for parks and recreation. So he used to be able to get me into the circus and uh, wrestling matches and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think it was a really nice thing that we kind of got to share together. Cause I think he really, you know, he was obviously seeing a lot more than I was and understanding different levels of it. But, but for me, uh, I, I just loved it. I just loved it. Yeah. <laughs> Bruno San Martino. Uh-huh. No, those were that, that was my era of gorilla monsoon. Mm-hmm. Um, and my favorite, he's kind of obscure, but he was my favorite. He, he wasn't a big guy, but he was, he was like a gymnast. You know, he could flip and he could, he it's had this be- thing where he would, he would lock somebody around their neck with his ankles. And uh, then he'd get himself over to the top rope. Yeah. Can and I guess who this is? Walk After around the ring. With his, um, with his, uh, with his hands, his name was Argentino Apollo. It was Argentina Rocca. What's that? Was it Argentina Rocca? Nope. Argentino Apollo. All right. Yeah. Very cool. This, yeah. uh, um, you were asking me like, uh, you know how I see wrestling and I, even as a kid, I never, yeah. I never thought like, you know, this is a real thing, but that never uh, bothered me. It was just, it was, uh, it's a weird thing to explain to someone never watched wrestling before. Cause they automatically think, oh, you sure. think it's, you know, this legit sport or something, but it's, it's, it's really its right. own form of entertainment. It's very athletic and it's also can be like theatrical. And, uh, I just always get a kick out of it. I, and, and it's so like it's so openly ironic, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Especially nowadays. You know what I mean? I kind of think I it always think was. It, but... What's that? I kind of think it always was to a degree, 
but especially in the last, you know, uh, like couple decades. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Because I actually also I also uh, do a wrestling uh, podcast, and I've interviewed Bruno. Oh, Samuel, you? You know? Yeah, I've interviewed Bruno, which was uh, a great honor to have Bruno on the show. Wow. You know, he reigned supreme the whole time that I was uh, that that I was uh, going to the matches and stuff. Yeah, but he, his, his nemes- and his nemesis was pretty much Gorilla Monsoon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I always right, like the big, was yeah, the like big, the big foreign heels, big you know, like the foreign menace because I think Gorilla was from. We build them from uh, from uh, I'm not sure where, but from uh, from some other country. Yes. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So I, I used to, and uh, uh, the um, no, this is it's just so it's just so far before your time. But there was this guy that used to be able to ripple his stomach and like literally make ripples in it, and a guy would be holding him around the waist, and he'd start rippling his stomach. And for some weird reason, it, it, you know, the guy would go, ah, and he, <laughs> it would pull him apart. It would yeah. pull his hands apart just by the fact that he could do this thing. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty awesome. So yeah, I don't know how we got into wrestling, but, uh, but uh, it well, does, uh, yeah, the, the wrestling does tie into early when I said there was one, uh, one person hung up on me. It was actually a professional wrestler. It was uh, the oh, Iron was Sheik. It? Yeah, the Iron Sheik. The Iron Sheik. Now, yeah. now, I guess you can cut it out, but what happened? <laughs> yeah, no, I'll leave it. In. It's fine. So it was. Uh, it was 2005. It was the first year was, we were doing uh, the wrestling show, and um, yeah. it was. I don't know if you've ever heard him on Howard Stern, Iron Sheik, but this was before yeah. he was on. Uh, he was before he did Howard Stern or anything, and so he came on the show, and it was. It, it was. He, I don't know if you've ever heard the Iron Sheik talk, but on that uh, on the wrestling show, I use the name Jack. So he's like, Mister Jack, very intelligent man in the Boston area, all my puzzons, and so he's going on and on. And <laughs> I, I, I just heard the story uh, where it was like there was a, a promoter in Boston, and uh, he said the Iron Sheik held him hostage in a car. So anyway, he's he's talking about this guy, uh, uh, Mister. I forget his name now, but uh, this promoter and stuff. And then I was like, oh, I just heard about that online. He said that you held him hostage in a car. And I didn't think about the word hostage, and he's Middle Eastern, and he just blew up on me. He's like, I was like, I am, do not be comedy. I'm not uh, Saddam Hussein. I am all American. And he, <laughs> and he told me he's going to break my back, and, all, and then he just hung up on me. And I was like, well, this, it, was, it was like a five-minute interview, but uh, at the time, it was the most hit I ever had. Did you wind up, did you wind up running it? Oh yeah, because it was it was that one was actually live, so it was live on the show. Oh. And, then, and then I put up the archive, and yeah, and still some people today Isn't will that tell funny? me that's their that, that's their favorite interview of mine, and I always like I'm not really <laughs> trying to take that. <laughs> it's like really I've got like hours with other people, but hey, whatever. <laughs> that's so funny. Yeah. So uh, being uh, into jazz, how did you end up being uh, you know a rock musician? Um, because it really was, you know, the whole time that those were the records that I would listen to, 
I was playing in rock and roll bands. I started out uh, as a drummer. So when I was, you know, eight or nine or something, I took up the drums. Before that, I actually was played the cello. Um, but it was, it was such a, it was like the saving grace of my early life to be always in a rock band. Mm -hmm. And, you know, sometimes when you're young like that, um, kids are coming from different schools or they're leaving or whatever. And so we never had a keyboard player. So then I started picking out stuff on the piano and bought a little Farfisa organ and, and then that was what I was sort of, you know, and, and it served me well, right? Because somebody that they don't really do this anymore, but in rock bands in the eighties and seventies, you had to have a guy that was like a utility player, you know, who could play saxophone because and how often are you playing saxophone right you can't right. play all the time mm -hmm. so so every sax player had to play keyboards and you had to play some sort of percussion and for me i really liked playing electronic percussion and you had to like tina had a song all of a sudden that had blues harp in it so I was like, geez, I guess I better learn it because I can't imagine the drummer playing it or the bass player playing it. They're too busy. Mm -hmm. So these little things just sort of, and then we had certain um, songs that really needed like a wind synth you know, that had a little more expression than, than a, um, than a regular synthesizer. So I got into that and that's pretty much learning a few instruments w was really just for, um, you know, just for survival. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, you had to um, do it. <clears throat> so w when did musician like, uh, music become like a, like, this is what you're going to do. This is going to be, you know, my life. This is going to be like a job. Forever. Mm -hmm. Forever. My, my father um, had a music school. Like I said, he was the head of music for uh, Westchester County. And he, I think he saw something in me. And then he really... You know, his side of the family is Sicilian, so I don't think there was really much of a chance to, to go up against him. He really, you know, the way somebody might want you to be a doctor and take over right. or take over the family business. Mm -hmm. um, I think that that's what he was going to insist on, and my rebellion was playing music that was different than he liked. He, he mm. was a jazz guy, but he was also really loved classical music. He was a Juilliard guy. And, um, 
he really wanted that for me, but, but I think he really wanted me to be a classical musician. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just kept, um, like I said, well, I started out on drums and then I went to, um, keyboards cause I thought mm-hmm. the band could use it. And I just tried picking out some notes. And then as I started getting into jazz, maybe about 13 or 14, I just said, oh, I, I got to get one of these. I, I, I got to see if, if it's possible, you know, to, uh, to learn this thing. Because I just thought it was, I just thought it was the coolest sound. Mm-hmm. You know, I, and of course now, um, you know, there hasn't been a saxophone solo on a hit record in 20, 25 years. Yeah. Um, so it's really out of favor, but uh, I don't care. You know, I, it's, it really is the instrument that I love. I, I practice it every day and I, I, I want to, you know, stay confident on it and, and have my chops in shape. And, you know, uh, it's, it's still surprisingly enough on a daily and weekly basis. It's still how I make a living, mm-hmm. uh, sort of in the trenches playing any playing any sort of gig, whether it's at a club or it's a, a, a wedding or a, a fundraiser or whatever, there's my sort of codpiece side uh-huh. uh, where I do conventions and will play, you know, the music that's sort of uh, me. Mm-hmm. Um, but then. I also, you know, I'm, I don't think I'd be able to make a living if I didn't have my suit and tie gigs. Right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, I'm always leaving a band for yeah. some function or other. Sure. So, uh, mm-hmm. what, what your father says more in the classical stuff. So, what, what, what was his take when you really like, uh, you know, uh, get your whole persona going with the with the cod piece and and with chain around your neck. Oh, and, wow. and, and well, he, he, I don't, I don't want to bring you down. <laughs> he died really. <laughs> oh, young. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, that's okay. I, 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 uh, yeah, he was only maybe 44, 45 when he died. So, so I was only 10 years old and, and, um, and, um, you know, obviously it was a major bummer. And it was really a hard, horrible thing uh, for the whole family. But it it freed me up a little bit musically because I knew that I always had to sort of fight them on stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I gave up the cello and I really devoted myself to more jazz and, and uh, rock music. Yeah, yeah. So um, and R and B, which I really love, right? Uh, all saxophone players not only love jazz, but we love we love rhythm and blues, and we love King Curtis, and we love Junior Walker, and you know those are yeah. those are those guys are important to us. Mm-hmm. So you know, yeah. <clears throat> I know obviously later on you played with uh, Tina Turner and uh, and Ringo Starr, and uh, they were already established names. Was uh was Peter Gabriel um, at that time when you played with him? Was he was he like a, was he really known yet? 
I toured, I played on and toured with his second record. I don't know if you're familiar with his solo stuff, but just after he left Genesis, um, he had the album that had Salisbury Hill on it. And then this was the second record. Um, if you've ever seen it in the stores, it's the one where he's scratching the sky. He's scratching and, um, and, and, and every place that he's scratching, it's all white and like he's scratched out the picture itself. Right. Yeah. I got you. Um, Robert Fripp produced that one. Mm-hmm. And uh, I played on a couple tunes, uh, with that. And then he wanted to see if I was, uh, he gave me an audition on keyboards and, um, and, uh, thank God I passed cause it was past the audition. Cause it was really fun. Mm-hmm. That was a really fun gig. He was such a gentleman and so creative and always like looking for something, you know, I, you know, obviously people know that he's, that he tries to do things a little differently and put his own stamp on it. Mm-hmm. Um, but that really was the way he was. He would, if there was some, I remember one time he, he just went out. There was a convention of, uh, sort of security systems. And to him, that was music too. So, he went out and and I think his next record was called Security. So he was always <laughs> just picking up stuff out of his life and and um, you know somebody that was always on the hunt. Yeah, yeah. Um, when you play with someone, how important is is the chemistry? I mean, uh, you can be like a great musician, but maybe if you don't have chemistry, does it not work? Oh boy, you know, you really gotta be flexible and try to suss out what the person is like and then try to fit yourself around that right you're an employee and this is your boss Mm -hmm. so you do everything that you can to um to be to stay true to yourself but be as much of the kind of player that they want you to be, mm-hmm. you know, it's just, it's, it really is just a job and you don't have the final say. Um, so, you know, Tina wanted different stuff out of me than Peter did. And, um, and Carly Simon wanted different stuff out of me, you know, mm-hmm. than obviously Billy Crystal did or, or, um, um, you know, just, you know, Eric Carmen or something. They, they all had such different styles and sometimes it's a little tough because it may not really be your style mm-hmm. and you gotta try to, you gotta try to absorb it, you know, like listen to all their records and figure out where they're coming from and like listen to their personalities and how they like to have their employees be some are really tough people and some are just very flexible and easy to get along with. Mm-hmm. 
Um, this yeah. something I've read about you is um, <clears throat> that uh, you had a heroin problem, and then um, you you you're over that. But how hard was that to um, to to kick, and how hard was that to stay away from when you're touring with uh, uh, you know with rock bands? You know, the bodybuilding really saved my butt. Mm. Um, it, uh, my, I don't, you know, there's different levels of addiction, right? Mm -hmm. If you've been addicted to, to really, you know, injecting heroin, which I never did. Mm -hmm. I always just snorted it. And I was into it for about a year and a half, maybe. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, my story about that is that on my 25th birthday, my mother threw a little party for me. And I went down to her house and my niece opened the door. She was about 12. And she instantly started screaming and locked herself in the bathroom. And uh, that was pretty tough. That was a pretty tough thing. And, and I remember my mother coming up to my apartment uh, with me just to sort of stay with me. And I didn't think I was in bad shape at all. I really didn't. Uh, I didn't know, you know, I'm, putting makeup on pimples and trying to make myself presentable. And I thought I was fine, but obviously I was far from fine. Um, but when that happened, my mother was in the next room and she was, you know, there was, there was no door between the two rooms and I could hear her trying to suppress her crying like try so that I wouldn't hear it mm -hmm. and that went through me like a knife it was just that hit me so hard it wasn't you know if she'd been wailing and weeping it, it might have been a little different but something about those these little tiny sounds that you could tell she was trying to cover up with a pillow. And that, mm -hmm. that was really, that was really tough. And I, I never took it again. Yeah. Never took it again. And it wasn't that hard. I went through probably the worst flu I've ever had, but I never, it, it was never like, Oh my God. Um, you know, like the man with the golden arm or something like, mm -hmm. oh, I've got to have this. It, it, I guess I, I hadn't done it. I hadn't gotten addicted enough to the point where I didn't just have to go through a cleansing that I really didn't even associate with like, oh man, I got to go out and get some more and get, yeah. get myself straight. I just mm -hmm. left that out. As a matter of fact, I gave up smoking at the same time and that was the one that kept, was tougher. Yeah. That was the one that kept, that was the one that kept coming into the back of my mind. Like you really want a cigarette. Like I really want a cigarette. Um, so, so I was lucky. 
I was mm-hmm. really lucky that way. Yeah. And, and got myself, um, I, I walked up to this like really funky, um, old, like low rent gym that was above a plumbing supply store. And it was in my neighborhood. And I just went up there and, and got involved with all these muscle heads. And it really did. It, it really made things so much easier. I got, I really enjoyed, because I was, when I, when I was, uh, you know, my natural uh, uh, body type is really, really skinny. So I'm six foot tall. When I started working out, I was maybe 135 pounds. That's really skinny. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, uh-huh. so, um, I enjoyed sort of being a different person, you mm-hmm. know, that, 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 that had some strength and a little more masculinity and a little more sort of confidence, you know, mm-hmm. in, in, um, just in my physical self, you know, mm-hmm. that, yeah. that was, that was really nice. That was very, very fortunate. Mm-hmm. that I got uh, in with all these dudes and some of them are, are, are still uh, pretty good friends. Cool. Uh, a friend of mine who had a, a heroin addiction, uh, what's kept him clean for years now uh, is running. And he said it, uh, maybe it's the same mm-hmm. kind of thing. He said it gives him the same kind of uh, a high in a mm-hmm. way, but you know, it's a natural high and uh, you know, he does it all the time. He's a totally different person, you know, for it. And it's great to see. I still have to, like I still have to work out pretty much every day, mm-hmm. you, you know what I mean? And, and yeah. towards the sort of earlier part of the day for those, uh, I, I still need those chemicals. I definitely have, I guess, I didn't know it at the time, but I think I've always had anxiety issues. My, my parents were kind of nervous people and um, and, and I have anxiety issues. So one thing that really helps me quite a bit is, um, is, is working out and, mm-hmm. and I kind of have to, I kind of have to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, six or seven days a week, I, it's, it's pretty essential. So I really understand what your friend is talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this was kind of weird to me. It was yesterday. Uh, I did an interview with a star of a, of a new movie coming out, uh, summer of 84. And, uh, so mm-hmm. I recorded that right after I recorded it. I was like looking up some little tidbits about, about you for, for the interview. And so I saw this, uh, this, uh, interview you did about Tina Turner. And the first line was in the summer of 84. And I was like, that's so weird. Cause, uh, I just did this interview with a guy from a movie, the summer of 84. So, uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> can you, can you uh, tell us about the summer of 84 when you met Tina Turner? Sure. Um, I was really lucky. Almost every gig I got, I got because of two um, brothers that are both very successful drummers. Uh, one is named Rick Murata and his younger brother who I went to school with is Jerry Murata. 
And so Jerry got me the gig with Peter Gabriel. Jerry got me so many gigs and Rick got me the audition with Tina. And because he was such a well-respected musician, um, I don't even think they looked at anybody else. So, so that was, um, that was really, really, really fortunate for me. Um, and I remember the first time I met her, um, I went to her dressing room. She was opening for Lionel Richie at the forum in LA. It was just as private dancer and what's love got to do with it was coming out. Um, what's love got to do with it was not yet a big hit, but they were out and there was a lot of buzz about her. And, um, quite frankly, when, when Rick told me about it, I wasn't that excited because I just kind of figured it was going to be a pretty low rent gig. Mm -hmm. And, and I went in and she was in a bathrobe, uh, getting ready for the show. And she was, this, this is, this is a person who really knows what she wants and is tough. She's a tough person. You know what I mean? She's not a, a fainting flower at all. She really, she, you know, what I, and then what I came out of the, uh, of the meeting was, wow, th this is really somebody who the vibe with her is like, if I, if you're really lucky, I'll consent to be your boss. <laughs> and, and I mean that in a really literal sense. You know, I kind of feel, and, and I don't want to give a negative impression of her, but I think that she, you know, how did she come up? She came up with Ike. So that's the only way she really knew how to run a band. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? That's, that was the way that she thought. So, so it was really like an employer employee situation. Whereas that gets blurred with a lot of people. Um, you know, when I played with Peter, it was just like a, a guy or Carly Simon was just, ju ju just a woman who was, tried as hard as she could to make herself the equal of the band, mm -hmm. you know, and be, and be personable and, and, and engage in conversation and things like that. With Tina, it was absolutely boss employee situation mm -hmm. and, um, nothing wrong with that. Um, you know, obviously, everybody would like somebody that was forthcoming and showed interest in them and gave them compliments and things like that. But you were just never going to get that from her. It, you just never get it. Mm -hmm. so, so you learned real, real early that uh, and, and, you know, 
maybe she wasn't like that with everybody, although from what I saw over 15 years, she was. But um, she said that when I left that little first meeting, she said, oh, this guy's going to be trouble. <laughs> so she had her doubts about me, right? Uh-huh. I walk in in a tank top and, you know, and the long hair and everything. And I think, you know, she really thought, oh, boy, do I really <laughs> want to get involved with somebody who, you know, looks like uh, he thinks a lot of himself and is, you know, going to be pushing for, you know, like pushing to be a featured member of the band and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And and I don't blame her. I think she was right. I think she was right. We, We often got into stuff where, where she'd say, oh, no, 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 stay back there. And then I'd get real mad and say, well, this thing fell apart. You didn't let me go out and work the crowd, mm-hmm. you know, because I thought that she, she just didn't, she had a thing about giving people too much time. You know what I mean? It had mm-hmm. really had to be the focus on her, but when she'd be making her costume changes, somebody's got to go out there and do it. So mm-hmm. over the years, we developed more honesty and more, I could, I could push back to her and you know i could get a little angry and say is this is this what you want to happen you really want this to just fall apart when you leave or do mm-hmm. you want to give me or kenny moore or you know the people that are featured do, do you want to give us something that we can help out with you know i'm not trying to be an egomaniac but if i don't go out to the front of the stage and try to sell this uh while you're changing your clothes or at the end of the concert, they, they, what do we got? You know, you're, you're just, you're just um, hurting yourself. Mm-hmm. But I think for her, she really didn't, you know, she had a thing. Like, in other words, in 1987, have you ever heard of Kenny Moore before? No, I haven't. Sorry. Kenny was her number number two person like she he was her right hand and he was with her way before she was famous the second time as a solo artist Mm -hmm. and he was magnificent he was an incredible gospel singer and piano player and for her to have that was such a um was such a blessing. And yet in 1987, when the second record came out, she just fired us both. I mean, she didn't even fire us. She, she just, she just didn't call us. You know, the next tour came around and, and both of us were just like, they're on the road again. Hmm. You know, and I had even played on the record. I, 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 I didn't, you know, there were certain things that she did that I think that maybe she just wanted, you know, oh, it's too much. I just, it's, it's, it's my stage and that's all there is to it. Mm-hmm. But 
you know, on the other hand, she was very honest. And she just said, yeah, I tried to keep you off, but people kept asking for you, so I brought you back. <laughs> you know, that's, yeah. and, and she had a, a, a wonderful sense of honesty, just about having no qualms about saying what she really thought. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I don't think too many people would say that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I wanted to get rid of you, but, but, but a lot of people have been asking for you, so I thought I'll Right, right. You. Yeah, they would make up something else, but yeah. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. So she brought me and Kenny back, you know. Mm-hmm. So, um, <clears throat> so uh, when you're torn with her and stuff, when, when did the, uh, uh, I still believe, that the uh, uh, the role in the movie come about? Like, who approached you about Well, it? you know, I mean, that's the thing about it, right? I just got lucky in that when I joined her band, all of a sudden, she became the darling of MTV Mm -hmm. and the directors would always have me do a little piece of business, you know, like in, in the Mad Max videos and stuff like that, they'd have me play on the record and they'd have me, you know, give me a little spot in the video. Mm -hmm. And that really led to just a lot of calls out of the blue. Oh, do you want to do Miami Vice? So, oh, do you want to do the Equalizer? Oh, do you want to be in this movie or that movie? And um, I don't know if I've overtold this story, but it's just just the way it went. I was auditioning for the Gary Busey part in uh, Lethal Weapon. Oh wow! Uh, and and obviously I didn't get it, but some guy I never met while I was sitting there just went. He just came up to me. His name is Joel Sill. He's a music producer and a uh, music publisher and a, um, what they call an executive music producer, mm-hmm. which I think he was pretty close to inventing that title because his first movie when he was a teenager was Easy Rider. And, and you know, that's, I don't know. You, you have, you, you know a lot more about movies than I do, but <laughs> to me that seems like a watershed movie oh, in yeah, terms of really. actually using famous songs and mm-hmm. placing them in the right spots, and you know. So, so that was that was what he did. He was always involved in in movies, and lucky me, he just happened to walk by and went, "Somebody, I want you to meet. Come here. Come with me." And he just walked me into Joel Schumacher's office. Joel said, you want to sing a song in a movie? I said, sure. He said, okay, I'll let you know when it happens and I'll see you then. I, I, I don't think I was in his office for more than two minutes. So, so well, when, when and, you actually do it, oh, go on, sorry. No, uh, well, I, all, you know, since I've, I always thought that I was much more well-known for Tina, because I was with, it was such a huge part of my life for mm-hmm. 15 years, you know, yeah, that's, it's that's just a long time. Like, a, like a marriage, you know? Um, and yet, <clears throat> you know, when I go to conventions and stuff, they sell any pictures of me and Tina. It's all about this, you know, 12 second appearance <laughs> yeah. that took about, three hours to do out of my life. Mm-hmm. 
that still, you know, is is a major is a major part of my life, and yet, with very few exceptions, um, nobody even knows I played with her. You know, it, does, it just doesn't matter. People don't at this point don't even know who she was, right? Yeah. Well, it's strange, but is is that a weird feeling to you, especially when you first kind of discovered it, that like uh, this thing that you like said three hours out of your life uh, is is something that so many people remember and and, then talk to you about? I I thank my lucky stars for that. Uh You know what I mean? Like how many people get that that 30, 31 years later? Um, this tiny little thing, you know, how long was I on screen? Maybe a minute tops mm-hmm. that it still is a thing where I can go play gigs because of it and can, um, you know, sell t-shirts and, you know, I, I can, I can, it's a, it's a really positive thing. I also am really um feel so fortunate that um Joel also Joel Schumacher also let me write a song mm-hmm. to see if it would be better than I still believe. And it wasn't. It sounded like a song you'd write because somebody said write a song for this movie, right? <laughs> right. Or I, I still believe it's a pretty deep it's coming yeah, from it's a pretty song. deep place. Mm-hmm. So I'm really, really one of the things that I'm obviously I wasn't thrilled about it at the time, but one of the things that I'm really happiest about is that I didn't get to sing my song. I got to sing this really wonderful song that's mm-hmm. that's deep and that's um, uh, true and sincere and unusually so. Mm-hmm. Had you uh, were you familiar with the song before? Had you ever sang it before? You know, I I this sounds like bullshit, uh-huh. but when I that audition that I just told you about, mm-hmm. I was actually about five minutes late because I was in the car and heard the song, <laughs> and you know how you can't turn it off. Right. You're in your car, you just leave your car running, and you just. I was really moved by it. And before he told me, like right after I went, I went and bought the cassette. I, I, was, I was really moved by the song. And so uh, that's, that's an amazing coincidence. Yeah. That's, yeah. See, you know, you know, I never it seemed like, yeah. Like it just was meant to happen. I just, you know, it's hard to say whatever. Everybody has their own leanings about coincidence and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But, but that was, that was amazing that on that same day, it was part of the day, you know, a big part of the day. Mm-hmm. And so when he said, Oh, I'd like you to sing this song. Well, I already knew it because I had been listening to, um, to that album quite a bit and especially that song. Yeah. So, uh, mm-hmm. when they, when they film the, uh, the scene there, uh, like, 
you said it was about three hours. You just sing that one song. You don't sing other songs, or nope, just, just that one song. And we maybe did. I don't think we did. Like I think we just did one take of every shot. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? There had to be things where where I was, you know, where. Uh, Jamie Gertz would come by and we had to be seen or, you know, they were covering a lot of stuff with the main characters. And, um, but I don't think there was more than one or two takes of anything. I, I, I was shocked. I mean, you, you know about movies. They, they mm-hmm. oh, the one thing you can count on is that they're going to take 20 times longer and you uh-huh. think it's possible that they could take uh-huh. right and this this literally was done from start to finish in three hours uh, we I was back in um in uh, Corey Hames room we were having a party um and it was, the night was still young <laughs> right. it was crazy it's like yeah. ten o'clock <laughs> uh, what no, was that party like oh, yeah, I'm sorry Mm-hmm. It didn't take all night till the sun came up. Yeah, I mean, yeah. ten or eleven o'clock. We were back at the Holiday Inn having a party in Corey's room. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, what was that party like? What was uh, what was Corey Haim like? Corey Haim was the most well. You know, he was just this adorable little kid, and and you know, my big. Story and my big takeaway from that was that they—he was so young, but he really was like an adult. Like you had no choice but to talk with him like an adult. Mm-hmm. And the other thing was the party got a little loud, and they called the cops. <laughs> and. When Corey heard the knock at the door, and this is just a small Holiday Inn, um, you know, motel room. Mm -hmm. So there was 20 of us in there or something. And so he knew what it was. We were playing music really loud. We were dancing. And he he just looked at everybody and went, watch this. And the cops came, and I don't know how he did this, but they were obviously ready to be very hostile and, you know, at the very least, shut this down. And, you know, if there was, if there was marijuana involved or if there was drinking with underage kids, you know, they, they were ready to go. Mm-hmm. But he just looked at everybody and said, watch this. And he went and he did this charm thing on these cops that by the end of maybe 10 or 15 minutes, they had their arms around them and they were kind of very timidly saying, all right, well, just try to keep it down. You know, don't worry about it too much. Um, you know, these people around here are just, uh, I mean, I had never seen a bullshit job like this 
in my life. I've never seen charisma like that in my entire life. And obviously what that was about, you know, was a huge, uh, cause I was going, Oh my God, I'd trade anything for that talent. Mm-hmm. That is some talent to have, you know, to just be able to charm the pants off anybody mm-hmm. at, at age. How old was he? 14, 13. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. Yeah. So that kind of confidence, that kind of IQ, that kind of everything, but it obviously proved to be a real negative too, because he could just get anybody to do anything he wanted and he knew it. And it was funny because we had a panel and it was in Indianapolis at a convention and it was the first time that uh, Corey Feldman uh, was at, that I was at one with him. Mm-hmm. It was pretty much everybody, all the survivors from the movie. Yeah. And, and when I said that story, Corey just went, that is Corey to a T. That is exactly, that it sounds exact. Like he had seen a million Mm-hmm. situations like that. Wow. And, you know, I guess, is there a talent that isn't, you know, that doesn't have a negative aspect to it? Right, right. Uh, did, did, did you uh, hang out with Corey uh, Feldman at all at the time? Or just, uh, you know what? On? I don't think he was on that night shoot. Yeah. I, he, I don't, I don't think he was at the party. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, all the, people that were at that concert shoot right right were were there so jamie was there and uh um you know just everybody that was at that concert that had you know because there was that little story where that's where they first meet and uh and that kind of thing so anybody that was in that shot just kind of got out of the van and just went right to Corey's room and hung out for a while Mm-hmm. Uh, I got a question here from uh, from Eben McGar. He wants to know. Um, oh, yeah, one of my uh, favorites. One of my favorites too. He wanted. To, he wants to know what was it like. Uh, what did you think when he reached out to you about coming to a Mad Monster party? Well, you know, he he really changed my life. He really changed my life. I I I had. You know, I, I just thought of myself who was, you know, for the, for the 26 years or something since the movie had mm-hmm. just totally forgotten about it. Nobody had reached out to me in any way. Nobody had, you know, tried to get me to conventions or done anything like that. Um, you know, m- my... My hair was short. I dropped 30 pounds. You know, I wasn't too worried about, you know, keeping my physique up. What do I need that for? Right. right? Who needs that option? Mm-hmm. So, so he really did change my life. There's this whole other part of my life now um, mm-hmm. where I'm, I'm about 90% done with my first 
CD, my first record. Oh, nice. And so all of these things come from uh, Eben's uh, call. Mm -hmm. It it just, it just, uh, you know, uh, conventions are a part of my life. Uh, um, Having merchandise and having something that, you know, helps out with the bills and, um, you know, uh, yesterday I gave a Skype SATS lesson and, mm-hmm. you know, th- there's all these things that have been improved um, in my life uh, j- just by that one call. Yeah. It, because uh, once he did that and, and he only, not only, Eben not only as well as i don't know if you know chris ott london 1888 yeah, yeah definitely yeah. i have many patches and pins of chris ott absolutely mm-hmm. he's amazing he and between the two of them they've gotten me maybe 90 percent of my conventions oh no wow and awesome. and so they have sort of taken me under their wing and given me, you know, and then other people will know that I did one. So they'll go, Oh, that guy does these now. Oh, good. Yeah. So I'll call. Yeah. And, and usually they, you know, if, when that happens, uh, the first thing I'll do is call Evan and Chris and ask what they think about, Mm -hmm. um, about, about the, the particular, particular show yeah. or yeah, like whether it's, whether it's a good one, whether, <laughs> whether one promoter hates another promoter. Yeah. Right. So that if you do this uh, one, you can't do that. We all that crazy. Uh-huh. Politics yeah. Like that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know it all too well. I, I started doing the conventions in 2011 or 2012. And then I was just having a good time. And then, uh, I found out that there's all these weird, uh, you know, infightings and, and actually, uh, same way. I, I'll ask Evan his, his, uh, I, I go to all the mad monsters. Actually, I wasn't at the one you were at, uh, that year. Cause I was very sick and I was in the hospital, but, um, Ooh, yeah, Evan's definitely one of the, uh, a guy you can trust. He's a guy you can trust. And you know, he, he's an extremely creative guy. There's, mm-hmm. there's, there's, there's this wonderful sort of layered approach that he takes to his conventions um, that nobody else bothers with. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he's, he, he just has this wonderful sense of pop irony that he um, brings along with him to whatever he does. He's a very, very smart guy. Mm-hmm. And uh, I always know I can go to him for advice and I'm going to get some good advice. Yeah. yeah. I just made my return to Mad Monster uh, last month uh, at the Charlotte one my first one in oh, a really? couple of years. Yeah. Now, do you, do you, you know, like, do you participate? Do you go and hang out or do you have a, a booth or what? what yeah. you know? uh, kind of both. I, uh, he, uh, Evans Greek, oh. I always sets me up with a booth. So we always have it without your head booth there. And, uh, yeah. and I also like to hang out and then have fun too. And, and, uh, do some interviews. Um, I also like, uh, the last few years I started, uh, after I get sick, you know, you have, it kind of changes your outlook and stuff. And so when I go to the conventions, I also like to check out the area. So it's not like I'm, uh, I'm just in a hotel the whole time. You get to see, uh, wherever you happen to be like in Dallas or, or whatever. 
And uh, sure. so, yeah, have a great time. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm forever in his debt. Mm-hmm. You know, like he found my n- number out of one of those, like actually paid to to try to find my cell mm-hmm. number. Uh, you know, paid a service to find out where I lived and 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 to ask if I wanted to do it. And it just, I had no idea that anybody had any interest at all, like zero. You know, I knew I had a Wikipedia page that I had nothing to do with. I knew that people would write articles like whatever happened to this guy um, by Googling it, but... Um, I, I had absolutely no idea mm-hmm. and he, but, 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 but obviously it is important. I mean, I've had people come up to me and just break into tears and like, like you, they were sick and, and maybe had some troubles and it helped them. So, yeah. so I, you know, those things are wonderful to, um, to find out, mm-hmm. uh, just so you know, or anyone listening doesn't know, I, I'm I'm fine now. But it was uh, it was a bad experience. Oh, I see. Uh, yeah. What did you What did you How long were you sick? What did you have? Um, I don't know if you know diverticulitis, which um, I actually diverticulitis thought it was, is um yeah. is in your uh, GI tract. Yes. Right. So those so are my uh, colons. So I went to the real, I'll tell a story real quick. Uh, I went to the doctor and said a pain in, in my side, which I thought was gas, but didn't go away. The terrible, terrible pain. Uh, they sent me home with, uh, with just some, not even any painkillers. And it got much worse in two days. Uh, I was actually screaming in pain. It was, it was very bad. So I went back to the, to the mm. ER. My brother drove me and, uh, right away, as soon as they saw me, took me in and they, uh, did, cat skin well not cat skin but you know whatever uh, x-ray and uh my uh, colon had prefer- perforated so my body was filling up with mm. uh, with waste and i was dying mm. and so they did a uh, emergency surgery and they removed 14 inches of my colon and uh, i woke up with a I'd, I'd have a colostomy bag for for a while i was in the icu it was very really bad experience uh, and um uh from there i had to they could do reversal surgery if I got, you know, into better shape and stuff. So I started walking a lot and in about three months they were able to, uh, reconnect me. So I don't have the colostomy bag anymore. And then, uh, no from there, there was, yeah, which is great because it was not, not, not good to have. And, uh, um, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't think that would be a great thing to go. Through. No, definitely. No, it was very bad. And, uh, even after that, that I had some complications because, uh, well, like, uh, so I've, all, I had 72, uh, staples down the, the center of my stomach and, uh, sure. a big, and the big, uh, hole in the side where they had the, the colostomy bag, the stoma. And for that, after they do reversal surgery, they don't sew that up because it's like a big open wound. And, um, uh-huh. so I had a wound vac, which is another thing. that's not very fun to have. It's like a little mechanical box. that like sucks the thing, the dead skin and stuff out of your, uh, your wound and, uh, that started to fill up with red blood, and I had a uh, a visiting nurse every day, and she came to like this. Wow. Is not she you were like on your back for how long? You were uh, on your back for how geez. long? I was in the I was in the hospital. I was in ICU in the hospital for 
three weeks, and then I was in rehab for two weeks to learn to 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 you know change my colostomy bag and walk and stuff because I couldn't walk for a while. And then so then I was home for three months, and then I had reversal surgery, and then I was in the hospital again for couple weeks and then i when i came home i had the complications and i actually started to bleed out and they had to call 911 and which was oh my lord yeah they cut me out of my clothes because it was it was soaked in blood it was literally like a movie it was just it was i honestly uh i honestly thought i was dying because i just thought there's no way anyone can lose as much blood and uh it was it was just like a movie the you know you're in the ambulance and they're telling you to stay with me and all and they put um, sure. trauma sheets on me, which what they do if you got a gunshot wound. And I bled through four oh. of those. And uh, from my toe, from my socks to my shirt, it was just soaked in blood. They had to cut me out of it. Oh my and, god! And so then that happened. So then I was readmitted to the hospital, and that happened two more times while I was in the hospital. Um, uh-huh. Started to bleed out, and so then I was I had a lot uh, several blood transfusions, and then I was anemic for for a long time. And uh, so it was a very, it was probably altogether like probably about six months, I guess. And then, then recovery oh. after that. So, but uh, I'm, I'm doing very well now. So. You're doing pretty good now. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, my friend who uh, I was telling you about, who was, uh, who, uh, who runs a lot, uh, cause he, instead of, uh, being on heroin, he got me into walking and stuff. And so, uh, we have the same map and we can look, you know, how long each other, you know, walks for and, He's way ahead of me, but but still, it's uh, it, you know I do try to do a couple of miles every day at least. I'm doing good. So maybe it was a blessing in disguise. I mean, you I know what I mean. It'll I've said it'll have a thing. positive effect on the rest of your life. Yeah, yeah. I've uh, that that's uh, I've said the same thing because it uh, you know made me uh, get in better shape all around and uh, and I have a lot of scars, but nothing uh, permanent. You know, well permanent scars, but nothing no permanent damage of any kind. Oh, wow. Wow, that's some story. Holy Moses. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, yeah, it is. It is. It is. So uh, where were we? <laughs> uh, by the way, you uh, mentioned that you do the Skype thing. Uh, how can people find that uh, if, if you want to have a Skype conversation with you? Oh, uh, well, uh, on timcapello.com, mm-hmm. um, I have a little shop that has buttons and T-shirts and where I'm going to put the record and the download um, pictures and stuff like that. Um, Usually people kind of find me just through my Facebook page and then find that uh, store through that. Um, So, you know, if you were just to Google Tim Capello Facebook, um, you know, that would that would come up and uh that's i think that's usually how people find me i think so mm-hmm. i think so maybe there's better ways to do it but I, I'm, I'm i'm not much of a businessman i i don't really know too much about that stuff but it seems to work pretty well i'm 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 really um very happy like i said i i, I never would have suspected I never would have suspected that anybody gave half a shit at all, you know, that would actually, uh, you know, get a t-shirt or be interested in an album of mine or, 
anything like that. And, and it's, and it's not true. So, mm-hmm. you know, again, Evan, thank you so much. Yeah. That's very cool. And, uh, that, and the, the Christopher odd pin is, is awesome. I love his artwork anyway. And, it and is. you have it. Yeah. It you is. have an autograph one on the, uh, on your website. That's right. I, I do. I do the pin. Chris is so sweet. And all, you know, it's so funny. I had to say to him, man, were you raised Italian? Because he just won't take any money. He'll just dump a big box of pins or posters. He did this amazing poster uh, uh, for me. And, and I'll have to like, when my father and my uncle Minnie would get together, they would... The last half hour, they would be chasing each other around the house with $20 bills. No, here, get your wife, get Lena something, get Mary a nice dress. And they would be stuffing money into each other's and not taking it, then taking it out and stuffing it back. And, and, and Chris just, I'll try to say, okay, how much do I owe you? Uh, you know, you just paid out like a couple hundred and you won't tell me how and he i I have to i have to chase the guy he's just the sweetest person i i i just it's but but i think i know that from being raised uh, sicilian Mm -hmm. yeah yeah like like in like in broadway danny rose where they're ripping up the money (laughs) right very cool yeah fascination yeah, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> what does it mean, really? In the greater scope of things, what does it really mean? Exactly. That's very true. <laughs> <laughs> See, uh, we get a couple more questions here from uh, Facebook, if you don't mind uh, if I ask them. Okay. Uh, uh-huh. Ian Messenger wants to know, uh, Have you were you ever asked to do any of the sequels, and would you ever return for a sequel? To Lots Boys. Um, I never heard about these sequels, uh, kind of knowing maybe I would have done it out of ignorance, but knowing what I know about it, you know, sort of direct to DVD. Um, if I had, if I wasn't really hard up for money, uh, I probably wouldn't have done them. Um, if Joel Schumacher was going to do it again, sure. I would do it, but you know, like I'm 63 years old. I, I'm not exactly sure. I'm not exactly sure, you know, what, uh, what place he would have for me, you know, like time marches on and people need to see young people, you know, doing these things, but but like I said, I really love the fact that when I do a show, I perform the song or I play a set or whatever, that the fact that I'm, you know, their grandfather's age and I'm still, you know, giving it my best shot and, and, uh, you know, shaking those hips to the best of my ability and playing and singing. I, I, I just, it really is lovely because I just see these huge, broad smiles 
when I look at pictures of these gigs, you know, that, that you're still in there and you're still pitching. It just, it just, I can see that it makes people happy. So I really do continue with it. That's why I'm making this record. Cause I'd like to do a lot of concerts yeah. of a one man show. I've got, I've got some, some, you know, I've got some visuals, little movies that I make that go along with stuff. And, um, we, we, we do the star, uh, you know, she has those crazy kind of a little geeky kind of moves that she does. So I made a, a loop of that and get the audience to do the star with all of her little hair combs and windmills and that little clap push thing that she does. So it's, it's fun. It's really, it's really a lot of fun. And, um, yeah, I'm hoping, I'm hoping whether it's, whether it's house concerts, clubs, uh, pubs, anything, I would really like to do this one man show, um, as much as I can. It really feels like, like, like my album, my album is uh, called blood on the reed. And, um, it's mostly covers from sort of the classic era of rock sax that I try to put my own spin on. Um, so just songs that I really love that I try to give a twist to. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm hoping that's in my future. Yeah, I'm I'll have to wait and see. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Oh, uh, I would like to see that, hear that as well. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Uh, Did I answer his question? Yeah, definitely, definitely. Okay. Uh, yeah, Jeff Ball wants to know: um, Did you ever think the appearance would be such an iconic moment? And have you? Uh, do you still uh, perform? Uh, I still believe. Yes. Well, uh, no, no to the first part. <laughs> right, right. I, I never, ever, I never, ever thought that it was, a, that it would be anything that people would remember 30 years later. I, I just, or that, it, you know, they would do a thing about me on Saturday Night Live, or it, it just, there was nothing about it that, um, that I ever thought would last you know you do gigs and you do these gigs and like i said it took so short a time that it just never registered um so so um i never thought it would be just anything or that it was spent 26 or 27 years sort of just under the assumption that it, it was nothing mm-hmm and then I go to conventions and people are like, Tim Capello, holy shit. <laughs> and, and I just can't believe that anybody remembers that. I'm, you know, it's just, 
It's, it totally freaks me out. Yeah. And what was the second half of it? Um, do you still perform? Uh, I still believe. Yes. Yes. Like I said, I, I, I perform every time I do a convention, I perform. I still believe. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times I'll play a concert. Uh, not a concert, but like, a like I said, like a fundraiser or a company party or a private party of some kind. And they'll know that that's, you know, that's me. Mm-hmm. And they'll say, you know, my mother and I used to watch this movie together, you know, once a month. Mm-hmm. So would you play it? And I'm always totally overjoyed. And I guess the big change that I'm waiting to see is when my record comes out, will I be able to, will I hold people's interest uh, with a full set of material? Yeah. Had no idea. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But I'm giving it a shot. I'm going to give it a shot. Yeah. You know, now, I know, I know people at the conventions are very, um, uh, supportive of people. So, uh, I hope they, you know, uh, support your, your, your original album and you get behind it. Yeah, me too. It would be, it, it would be a great thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I, you know, surprisingly enough, at, you know, at this late stage of my life, I'm, I'm really not ready to hang up the cod piece. Mm-hmm. Uh, not many people can pull off the cod piece look. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want anybody to pull off the cod piece. Absolutely. <laughs> very, very true. Very true. Uh, I was like, I just a couple more things. Was I saw on your um, on your Facebook page that on, on Waco on the miniseries week at Waco they they played your your song. Well, they played. I was I shocked. Played. Yeah. I was shocked. Now, uh, I believe that they were playing the Calls version, right? The Call was a Christian band. So uh, that's what it sounded like to me. But then I was totally shocked that the FBI had all these oil drums filled with fire in their compound, in their tents and stuff Mm -hmm. to keep warm, I guess. But I I really felt that was a lovely little nod to... uh, to my contribution to the song. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I didn't even notice actually. Now you mentioned, yeah, cause I'm looking at the pictures and the, the fire coming up is a, yeah, it's a nice little uh, nod to, uh, to your, right? to your performance. Yeah. I don't think that's, that's anything cool. but that. I don't think that's, I don't think that's coincidence or anything yeah. like that. I, um, but, but on the other hand, as I said, you know, it, that original version, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, I just try to do my best. Mm-hmm. Um, but that original version is, is, is pretty amazing. Yeah. R- really that the whole soundtrack of lost boys is, is great. It is a good soundtrack. Yeah, it is a good soundtrack. And you know something? It's so weird. It's 30 years, but both from the, um, my appearance in the movie mm-hmm. and the soundtrack. Like four times a year, I still get a pretty decent little check. Oh well, that, that's and, an added bonus. Yeah, yeah. I mean, these other little things I've done, I'll get you know 
$3.50 or something. Mm-hmm. And, and this is, this is, uh, you know, that just makes me know. I mean, in, in an era when nobody buys records, nobody, right. nobody buys records. Mm-hmm. So I think you're right. I think there's a lot of great songs on that soundtrack, right? Yeah. yeah. The remake yeah. of People Are Strange and, of course, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Gerard McMahon's theme song. That's just Cry Little Sister is just yeah. amazing. Yeah. It's really haunting. You know. mm-hmm. Oh, so beautiful. Yeah. So beautiful. I'm, I'm glad I got to finally meet him and hang out with him. A oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I one. One last question here, because I know it was a lot longer than I said, but uh, uh, what did you think of the movie Lost Boys when you first saw it? I thought it was amazing. Mm-hmm. I loved it. I loved it. I really thought, wow, I was lucky, because this is a good movie. I mean, do you like it? I love it. I, I went you... to see it. At, I saw it when it came out at the theater. And uh, yeah. I loved it then, and and I watch it uh, now, and and it's not only does it still hold up, it's uh, you know when you get older you appreciate different things about the movie, and uh, yeah, I think mm-hmm. I think it's a great movie. Well, when I was yeah, a kid, I like I saw more of uh, you know a comedy horror, and there's still obviously comedy, but it's uh, much more serious when I watch it now that that I'm older. That's interesting. I'll have to go and watch it again. Yeah, I'll have to go and watch it again, and 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 to to see what you're to see what you're uh, telling me. Yeah, it's kind of a nice contrast of like, uh, especially the Lost Boys themselves are uh, much more serious, and then and then it has some lighthearted stuff. But uh, it's a good combination of both. But there's definitely a lot more serious stuff than I remember as a kid. You think they struck a nice balance that that was, yeah, definitely. That was the, yeah. really good but sometimes balance. It's, yeah, and sometimes it's hard to pull off, especially like in a horror movie. Uh, if you have some comedy, sometimes the horror doesn't work, but I think uh, it both works. It, oh, it, it, I see. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I, 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 I agree. I, I, um, uh, do you consider the lost boys a horror movie? Um, I mean, I guess it's about vampires, vampire and vampires are part of the horror lexicon. But yeah, it's kind of like going back to what I said. Uh, I don't, I don't always because uh, some people argue about uh, you know a genre is a movie, but um, I just like the movie. So, but it's definitely yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it's definitely like you know a lot of dr- uh, a dramatic uh, horror movie as well. So this, that's you know, it's, kind of what I thought about it. Like, oh, I don't think I've quite seen anything exactly like this mm-hmm. it, 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 if you know what i mean it just it just had like you said there's a lightheartedness to it but it's it's i don't know i don't know really how to explain it but it, it i could almost if you had said no it's not a horror movie mm-hmm. I, I could i could have seen the point to that too Sure. Just seems like somehow it's it's a little bit of a different genre bending thing. Because mm-hmm. I don't think it's a movie where you have to be a horror movie fan to enjoy it. I think uh, right, a lot of right. yeah, that's a good fans. point. Like, yeah, that's a Which good is, point. Yeah, that's probably why it's it's lasted. You know, because uh, a lot of movies come and go, and like uh, sometimes I like to watch old Cisco and Ebert's uh, on YouTube. 
And it's always weird to me. It's like, it'll some big movies that were up for Oscars and stuff, and like, no one ever talks about them anymore. But uh, then there's movies that uh, stick around forever and always find a new audience. Oh, uh, yeah, sure. I definitely know that The Lost Boys is one of those. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know. I mean, uh, when I'm at conventions, mm-hmm. I get grandparents, parents, and little kids. Yeah. That yeah. share it. That, mm-hmm. that, that share that interest and, and, you know, their family. It'll be a family movie. Yeah. Because I think it's um, scary enough. It's not like a kiddish movie, so you can watch it when you're adult. And while it's scary and stuff, it's not like really graphic that like a, uh, you know, like a kid can't watch it, like, you know, who, who can take, you know, some right. horror stuff. So it's definitely a movie, you sure. know, any age I think can watch. Sure. I mean, I actually have a very weak stomach. Mm-hmm. I, I just, uh, you know, a, a lot of gore um, really gets to me and it, and it literally scares me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as I said, I sort of have this, a lot of anxiety, just, you know, it's kind of an anxiety disorder. And mm-hmm. so I actually literally get scared. My, my wife and I watched get out, which I thought was an awesome movie. And I yeah, love it. Was but fan, when yeah. it turned red, mm-hmm. uh, I, I was scared. Like I was scared, you know, like a little kid would be scared. Like, Oh, this uh-huh. is too much. I can't handle this. I had to kind of leave the room and, and I loved the movie a lot. Mm-hmm. And she was looking at me like, what are you talking about? You know, <laughs> but, yeah. So I, I'm, I'm pretty much of a wimp when it comes to horror. <laughs> That's totally fine. Uh, this is real quick. What kind of movies <laughs> do you like? What are my favorite movies? I, I, I guess I like comedies and I like romantic movies. Mm-hmm. I'm, 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 I really love, I'm like a real wuss and I, I cry really easy at movies. So like, like, um, and I love comedy. I, when Albert Brooks was in his prime, like mm-hmm. defending your life is one of my favorite movies. Um, I, and real life. That was another one of his movies. Um, I love stuff like Frankie and Johnny. Mm-hmm. The one with Al Pacino and mm-hmm. Michelle Pfeiffer. Um, like really, I guess just really romantic movies. That's horrible, right? That's a horrible <laughs> thing to put in <laughs> And I'm weeping. I'm uh-huh. weeping. Uh-huh. I, I don't know what that is, but sorry. <laughs> I have no defense for it at all. People are, you know, people will hear that and go, that's the stupidest friggin' thing I ever heard. And I have no, def- I gotta say, you're a hundred percent right. I don't know why that is. <laughs> that's totally fine. <laughs> well, I, I want to thank you for coming on. Cause this has been great. Uh, I love talking to you. It's been so much fun. Thank you. I can see that that you really put a lot of your heart and soul into this and your questions were awesome and really well articulated and thought out. So thank you very much. You, I appreciate you made that. it uh, a pleasure.
cool. I appreciate that. And uh, I always, uh, when I see the pictures of you at the conventions, I always it seems like you really have a good time and talking to you. It's, it's clear that that you do, and you still love uh, doing the music. So uh, that's really cool to see. It is. It is. I guess at some point I'm going to hang it up, but but I, I know my time is limited. You know, I'm going to throw those hits out, and there's going to stay out at one point. But while I've still got the energy and the desire to do it, I'm really sort of happy for every day, you know, mm-hmm. that I can do it. Yeah. Well, I said this a bunch of times since I was sick, you know, um, uh, you should uh, do what you love while you can do it and, uh, you know, hang be with people that you love while you can, cause you never know when you can't anymore. So that's uh, how I, there you go. I try to live and try to tell people. There you go. I think that's wiser words were never spoken. That's very true. So I hope to see you sometime at a convention. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love that. Yeah. I'd love that. Uh, uh, please. Uh, uh, um, if I happen to be anywhere near where you are, come by and say hello. We can hang out a little bit. Cool. Definitely. Well, thanks again. This is great. Okay, man.
Like this. 